You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and only the finest in television and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. A warning to all of our listeners, if you hear what sounds like explosions in the background, that's just thunder and lightning. Rafer and I here in Brooklyn have a thunderstorm right now. Yes. And we're going to do our best to podcast through it. Hopefully our electricity won't go out. But (laughs) all of you out there, you're worth it. We love you and we're going to keep going even through this storm. That's right. In case you're wondering, Rafer and I, we are not real therapists, but we are real TV and movie critics. And yeah, just keep that in mind. If the advice sucks, it's not our fault. We're not real professionals. (laughs) No one licensed us for this. That's right. Yes. All right, Rafer. Now, let's do it. Let's get to our first patient. All right. Uh, I'll read this first letter. It comes from someone who's asked that we call her S. S writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I always knew I wanted to have at least two children, and if possible, close in age. That was also my husband's wish. When we started to talk about having a family together, and when we got married in December 2018. Our son was born a year after our wedding. It was a difficult pregnancy and birth, but we made it. We fell in love with our little boy and our very happy and tired parents. But now, my husband says he's happy with only one child. He doesn't want to go through pregnancy, birth, and sleepless nights once again. He wants to enjoy his life. It's true that it hasn't been a smooth journey. COVID hit when our baby was just four months and did make all our fears about having kids come true. We can't travel, we barely see our friends, and we're stuck at home most of the time, and we can't go to the movies or to restaurants. We lost our freedom, and he wants it back. I, on the other hand, cannot imagine having only one child. My mom suffered a lot from being an only child, and I would not impose it on my own son. I am well into my 30s and don't have that many years left to get pregnant, especially because of a condition I have that makes pregnancy extremely difficult to go through. In movies, they always show how hard it is to raise kids. My husband often points to them as examples and says, you really want a second one? Do you have a movie recommendation that he could watch to remember how wonderful it is to become a father? Bonus points if it is to a daughter, or 
how amazing it is to have a brother or sister. He loves his sister a lot, and maybe he could see how important it is for our son to have this chance too. Wow. Ass. There is a lot going on yeah. in your family right now, S. A lot to unpack. Yes. Well, first of all, I just want to say I am so sorry that your first child came uh, right at the beginning of COVID. That's yeah. got to make uh, things so much harder. I mean, already everybody I know who has a baby, who's ever had a baby, and I used to be a nanny, as I mentioned on the show before, uh, a baby already changes your life in so many ways. But to go yep. through that during the pandemic, oh boy, that, that's got to be even tougher. That is hard. That is hard for me to imagine. And uh, S is right when um, she's talking about all her fears about having kids coming true. Although, in fairness, all that would have happened anyway. You would not have seen your friends. You would have been stuck at home. You can't travel and you can't go to the movies. So all that would have been true anyway. But I can see where COVID would have made it doubly worse. <laughs> yes. I guess what I'm more focused on in a way is um, the is the husband here, uh, the father. And, you know, on the one hand, I think there's a very good case to be made that he's gone back on a promise, that he's gone back on a on a deal that was struck. Uh, you know, this was something he did. He, he went into this knowing what S wanted, and now he's changed his mind. And that's, a, frankly, a, a huge thing to change your mind about. And I don't know how cool that is, but I also don't know how cool it is to have one against your husband's wishes for, <laughs> for very obvious reasons. So uh, that this is... This is this is tough. It is tough. Tough is an understatement. Um, yeah, I, I got to agree with you, Rafer, on the point you just made there. That it's a real bummer that he changed his mind. It, yeah, it it does feel like he's you know not following through on something you agreed on. But that being said, I'm just going to say something as an old married gal, as somebody who's been on this earth, yeah, a little bit longer than us here. Sometimes people change their minds. Sometimes. Within their own relationships, we change our minds. Sometimes it's not just at work we change our minds or in our neighborhoods or with our friendships. Sometimes it's within our own marriages we change our minds. And something that we might genuinely, heart and soul, know we believe we want at one point, we might not want later on. And that just happens sometimes. And I, I just want to say, I don't think that makes anybody a good guy or a bad guy. It makes it a bummer, for sure, when you're counting on them to, you know, stick to that decision. Yeah. But I know a lot of people who change their minds. I know people who change their minds from wanting zero children to waking up one day and saying, no, I really, really want one. Or I want this just to be the two of us to one day waking up and saying, no, I need to have an open relationship. Or... The other way around, where we entered this together with our relationship having certain parameters, but I don't like those rules anymore. And I know that's what I agreed on early on, but I, I don't feel that way anymore. And I do think it's natural that sometimes people change their minds. It's it's just part of life, and uh, and definitely it's a part of marriage sometimes. Don't you think so, Rafer? Wow. Are you so you're you are you are kind of I don't mean to make to turn this into a taking sides thing, but you are kind of you are kind of on uh, you are kind of with uh, the husband in a way. You kind of feel like, hey, listen, the husband is within his rights, and uh, you can't hold someone to something that he said uh, at you know X point in time when things have changed. And you're saying that that that's you're saying that's fair. That's fair game. I'm saying it is a total bummer for us, and us. I am so sorry. Because I know this is not what you signed up for. You signed up for a husband who wanted two children. And yeah. it is a bummer. But I, I am saying that 
S can really only control herself and what she does in this situation. Yeah. We don't know if she can change her husband's mind. We don't know if the husband wants his mind changed. So based on the situation as it is now, you have one child who you love very, very, very much. Do you want a second child so badly that you are willing to end your marriage and maybe become a solo parent of the second child? Do you want to do your best to try and find a way to be happy with the one child that you have? I just don't know if there's going to be success in changing your husband's mind, S, but I do think what you can do is get to know his mind better and where he's coming from and also decide for yourself what's most important to you. Yeah. I also want to add that I just personally am opposed to bringing children into the world when they're not wanted. I would agree with that. And in this case, somebody very much does not want a child. And to bring a child into the world to somebody who doesn't want that child. Yeah, it's a lot of, lot of, you can see where that would go quite badly. Well, what are we going to do? What are we going to recommend here? Well, Rafer, I'm dying of curiosity to know what you're going to prescribe, but I'll give you my answer first. Okay. Full disclosure, listeners, this is a show that came up on a podcast within the past month. Uh, It's called Girls 5 Eva. Oh, yeah. It's on Peacock. It just launched this year. And it was recently the subject of a what should I watch next question. Somebody had just binged it all and they wanted to know what to watch next. Now, I love Girls 5 Eva. If you are not familiar with it, it's about a girl group from the late 90s that reunites in 2021 with the members now all in their 40s. Comedy, of course, ensues, along with lots of great music. But underneath all the laughs, there are real issues being explored. For example, one of our leads is pretty sure she no longer wants a second child. She's in the ah. same boat as S's husband here. Okay. She and her husband always agreed that they'd have two kids. But now she's really just not so sure. And she's feeling guilty about it. She's worried, is her existing child going to be lonely? And there's a song that plays throughout this uh, show anytime she's worried about her son. And it's kind of a play on a Simon and Garfunkel song, The Only Living Boy in New York. Oh, yeah. But the um, the song is called New York Lonely Boy. Here's a clip. Wait, is that a- New York Lonely Boy The city's full of New York lonely boys No brother or sister, just one little mister He's just another New York lonely boy New York lonely boy His pants are always spiffy, only sibling is the city Playground is the lobby, has a palette for wasabi. The strand is his Disneyland. He's just another New York lonely boy. Now, S, the reason why I'm prescribing the show is because I think it might give you a tiny bit of empathy for where your husband is. And I think that maybe having a little bit of empathy is the first step to really sitting down with him and finding out where he's coming from. What are all the feelings that are going into this? How much of this is because it was terrifying for him to see you go through a difficult pregnancy? How much of this is because he really just loves your son so much he doesn't need another? How much of it is because he wants to go back to being a human and not just being a dad? And I would uh, encourage you to watch Girls 5 Eva and open your heart 
just enough where you can listen openly to your husband, whatever it is he has to say. And maybe you're not going to like what he has to say, but I think it's really important to not be defensive, but to really listen with your heart. What is really going on here? Why doesn't he want the second child? And is there any way that you can be at peace with this? And if so, maybe you can find reassurance also on Girls 5 Eva that only children are not miserable children. <laughs> Kristen, I concur with you about um, this idea that I think there's something else going on with the, this husband, that I think there might be something else that's happening, some other, um, some other emotion or fear or desire that is driving this behavior. I think you're right about that. Uh, I, I, I mean, it, it, it very well could be that, that the, the, the face value reason that he's giving, he just doesn't want to go through it all again. It was too much and he's too tired. That, that could be. I just, I just, I think you're right. I think there's something else there. So I think that's, a, I think that's, a, I think that's smart of you. Well, what about you, Rafer? What are you going to prescribe to S? I got stuck on this idea that S is afraid of doing some kind of damage to her child by not giving him a sibling. That there is something about that that just didn't sit right with me, and so the movie that I've chosen is uh, from uh, quite a. I was shocked when I looked it up. I was shocked to find out how long ago it was. It's from two thousand. Uh, it's a movie called You Can Count on Me. Ah, uh, of course, starring the great Laura Linney and Mark Ruffalo. Yes, yes, exactly. And this is the movie that I think made them kind of both great. This was a real breakout movie for them, even though this was a you know kind of an art house release. It was not a big Hollywood mainstream film, but they play two siblings. Uh, Laura Linney plays. Sammy. Uh, Mark Ruffalo plays Terry. Uh, when they were very young, uh, their parents died in a car accident. And um, we don't know too much about their uh, lives since then. But as adults, which is when we meet them, they're leading these very different lives. Um, Sammy is pretty stable. She's a loan officer at a bank. She lives in the Catskills. She's a single mom to a son, Rudy, and she's, she's a capable, responsible person, a good worker, although she does not have the best judgment when it comes to the men in her life. Um, but otherwise, you know, responsible, upstanding citizen. As for Terry, he's become basically a drifter. He's always broke. And in fact, when he shows up in Sammy's life again, he's just gotten out of jail not that long ago. And Sammy takes him in anyway. And at first things go pretty well because it's kind of nice to have Terry around for uh, her son, Rudy. But Terry is not exactly a father figure material. He's, he's, he's more of a uh, drinking at the pool hall figure. <laughs> um, and so that gets a little problematic as things go on. Um, and meanwhile, Sammy is not forging the best relationships with the men in her life. Um, her, 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 her romantic life is uh, complicated, uh, messy, and not that healthy. And pretty soon, brother and sister are kind of at each other's throats. And here's a clip. I don't think you know how to behave around an eight-year-old, and I don't know how to make you stop. So... I don't think you should live here. I, I, I don't know what else to say. I don't know how to behave around an eight-year-old. That's right. I think you don't know how to behave around an eight-year-old. Are you out of your mind? Now, just listen to me. No, I may not be the greatest mother in the world, but I'm doing the best I know how, and he doesn't need you to rub his face in shit because you think it's good for him. He's going to find out the world is a horrible place and that people suck soon enough and without any help from you. Believe me. I think you should get your own place. I thought maybe you could 
I, I'd be happy to, to, to help you out financially. What do you mean, get my own place? I mean, I... You mean here in Scottsville? Yes. <laughs> why would I do that? I mean, why, why don't I just leave, period? Now, Rafer, did you prescribe S this movie just because you want to see how miserable siblings are? <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, here's why. Uh, the, uh, this movie was the, uh, the first film from Kenneth Lonergan, playwright, screenwriter. He's the guy who did Manchester by the Sea. Mm-hmm. Um, another great movie. He's done a ton of screenplays. But I think his movies have a really great way of showing life as it is and not as we want it to be. So first of all, as we said, you've got these two great performances from uh, Laura Linney and Mark Ruffalo. But I think I think what this movie says is that, in a way, S and her husband, they're, they're kind of both right, in a way, on this, on this idea of, of the only child. Yes, it's important to have a sibling. When your parents die, uh, you'll still have someone. And as my wife always says about our two boys, you know, your siblings uh, often make you who you are even more than your parents do. They, in some ways, have an even greater effect on you. And I think that's true. On the other hand, having a sibling is no guarantee of anything. You might not be close all your life. You might end up hating each other. Your brother or your sister might not be there for you when the chips are down. And I think for a lot of people, having a sibling is an awful lot like not having a sibling. <laughs> um, so I'm not really coming down that hard on either side here. Maybe that's wimping out. Uh, I don't know. But it's a great movie. And I think it just shows you a, a picture of two siblings and how they're relating to each other and not relating and what they do and don't do for each other in their lives. And I, like I say, it's, it's one of these movies that just gives it to you straight and shows you how it is and kind of lets you make your own decisions about what this relationship is and what it means. And so that's why I recommended this one to S. I think that is such a good suggestion, Rafer, because it really does sound as though S has created a whole very, very negative worldview around what it's like to be an only child in the world based just on the sample size of one of her mother. And her mother isn't all people. There are a lot of folks out there who are only children. I'm friends with loads of them who are very, very, very happy. And sadly, I'm friends with loads of people who have siblings who do not like their siblings at all. So it's not a black or white thing. There are folks on all sides of the equation. Yeah. All right. Once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, Girls 5 Eva, and from me, You Can Count on Me. All right. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, RaferandKristen.com, and fill out the contact form. You do not have to use your real name. And while you're there, you can check out all the movies and TV shows we've prescribed so far on our prescription pad. And if you want to advertise on the show, you can learn how to do that, too, because we're now with the Airwave Network, and they'd love to hear from you if you want to advertise on the show. All right, when we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone who's not feeling great about her age. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. 
Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts. We are back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, what does our second patient have to say? All right. Our second patient's name is Beverly. I love the name Beverly. Yeah. Beverly is in quotes, so this isn't really Beverly. Uh, yeah. Who knows, who knows what Beverly's real name is? But Beverly writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, every morning I wake up thinking I'm 62 I am really 62. As the mother of a teen, I am more conscious of my age than I imagine empty nesters my age are. I was one of the youngest in my class, the youngest in graduate school, the youngest intern. But now I'm the oldest parent, the oldest among my siblings-in-law, the oldest in a new writer's group. No one has a problem with this except me. What can I watch to get this number out of my head? I'm not interested in amazing old people doing amazing things. I want to see typical old people who successfully manage their old lives, their old jobs, their old bodies, who don't wake up every morning thinking, wow, I'm a day closer to death today. Wow. That's heavy, Beverly. It sure is. Wow. Uh, I understand what you're saying. Um, I One thing I'd point out... Um, I don't know. All these things sound pretty great. Oldest parent, um, oldest in a new writer's group. That sounds awesome to me. I know what you're saying, that nobody else has a problem with this, and you do, and that's 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 valid, right? But, uh, I mean, it, I don't know. It sounds like you're living a pretty uh, full and interesting life. Mother of a teen at 62. Um, I don't know what the story is there, but that's totally interesting and, and different. And, you know, I can remember being in these parent groups at first, and you know, you'd look around and it's just like looking at a hall of mirrors. You're just like, yeah, there, there's me and my wife standing over there. Oh, there we are standing over there. They also have a two-year-old. Where do you live? Parks Low. Oh, really? Me too. You know, what do you do? I'm a journalist. Oh, no kidding. It's, you know, after a while, it just gets so, it's a little boring. I would have been pretty glad to have uh, a 62-year-old mom of a, of a teen. I don't know. That sounds really interesting to me. But I understand you know, society is often not kind to people who are aging. And, um, you know, I, I, I can understand that. But it doesn't sound to me like you're a day closer to death at all. It sounds like you're doing pretty well. Yeah, I, I would agree with Rafer here. I mean, the fact that you're in a writing group, the fact that you have all these other things going on in your life, to me, that says you're very much alive if you're doing all the things that you're doing right now. That's not about death at all. That's about being alive. Yeah. And you're doing something that a lot of aging experts say is a good thing to do, which is making sure that you are not just surrounding yourself with people the same age as you. Yeah. 
Good point. One thing that happens as we get older is oftentimes we are past 60, we're past 70, we're past 80, and our friend group gets sick. Our friend group dies. Suddenly we wake up and we're the only one left in our former friend group or our family. And that's not going to happen to you, Beverly, because you're making sure that you're around people who are younger than you. And they're keeping you sharp and they're uh, ensuring that you have people in your life still. And I got to say, I do that also, Rafer. I have this insurance policy called uh, Friends Who Are 20 Years Younger for this reason. because That's a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. It, it keeps me fresh. It keeps me alive. And like Beverly, I, I was at one point also the youngest person in the room. I was the youngest person I knew who had a full-time job at my company when I was 18. I was the youngest person going to college when I was 17. I was the youngest for a number of things for many years. And then one day I woke up and I wasn't. And that's fine. That's part of the great cycle of life. And my gosh, uh, I would not want to be that 17 or 18-year-old again. And Beverly, I'm guessing you wouldn't either. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Kristen, you're so full of spirit, much more than I am. I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) You don't want to be that age either, Rafer. Let's be real. (laughs) I I think I do, though. No. Every time you think you do, I want to force you to watch You Can Count on Me so you can get a reality (laughs) check. (laughs) <laughs> That's totally true. That's totally true. <laughs> so, Rafer, what are we going to prescribe to Beverly here so she does not wake up each day saying, oh, God, I'm 62 and I'm one day closer to death? <laughs> well, I'm going to make a I'm going to before I, I give my actual prescription, I'm going to make a little side bonus if you want prescription uh, for. Um, yeah, a, a movie that uh, actually is coming out this week called Queen Bees, starring uh, Ellen Burstyn and James Caan as two people who meet in a retirement home. (gasps) Oh my God, this is totally my kind of movie, Rafer. It's totally (laughs) your kind of movie. I will just say, it's not it's not great, but it's got some moments. Ellen Burstyn is really good in it. Uh, Jane Curtin is in it. She's Ooh, really good. I love Jane Curtin. Um, yeah, uh, Loretta Devine. It's got a, it's got a, a pretty Ooh. good little cast. Oh, Anne Margaret. I'm completely forgetting Anne Margaret. Oh my God. Yeah, so it's got a good cast and a and a, and a decent script. It has some problems, um, and also one reason I'm not fully recommending that movie is because it's 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 quite a bit beyond where our listener Beverly is. These people are not 62. These people are more like you know 70, 82. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a little bit beyond that, but I thought I might just mention it just in case you wanted to see a movie about, you know, older people kind of living their lives and dealing with problems and functioning and doing well and, you know, mm-hmm. falling in love. Hot senior action. That's, that's exactly right. Well, wow. and Margaret, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, but the, the, the movie or movies plural I'm going to prescribe is the Up series, uh, the documentary from Michael Apton. Yes. Um, I'm sure you know these, Kristen. Of course, of course. Some people call them the original reality TV. And totally. I, I got to say, these documentaries are always fascinating. I don't want to totally. step on your story, though, Rafer. I'll let you explain what the Up series is. No, that's that's all right. Yeah, it's a it's a documentary series of uh, films that started out on, on British television and kind of migrated over to the big screen, um, directed by Michael Apted, who's been with these documentaries from the beginning since the very first one aired in 1964. And the last one came out in 2019. And what they do is they visit the same group of people every seven years, starting when these people were seven, uh, based on the old quote, um, give me the child at seven and I'll show you the man or, or woman. So it was sort of based on that kind of uh, cliche. And so they just follow these people every seven years. They show up at their doorstep and catch up with them and see what they're doing. Um, 
You don't have to see them all because uh, the movies do a very good job of using past footage to kind of catch you up and remind you of who's who and in, or, or introduce you to who's who. And you could just start with 63 Up, which is the last one that came out in 2019. Like I said, I, I've been watching these what feels like my whole life. I've been watching them since 28 Up, uh, I think. And they're just mesmerizing because... It's it's like falling back in with some old friends. You know, it's seven years is the perfect amount of time, right? You've fallen out of touch, you've forgotten about them, and then like all of a sudden they're back in they're back in your lives and you go, Oh right. You're like there's Tony. He's like Tony's the working class kid who wanted to be a, a horse racing oh, jockey, but yes. he, ends up right? a cab he, driver, yes. He ends up a cab driver. He's married with kids, still driving a cab. How's he doing? And then there's John, that guy who got really involved in Bulgarian charities somehow, and now the only reason he ever shows up in these movies anymore is because he wants to raise awareness of his charities. And and you might remember the one that the guy that most people remember is Neil, the guy that was homeless uh, when he was oh, yes. in his 20s. That guy looked like he was going to be dead by 30. And instead, he totally bounces back and he becomes a successful politician in England. So here's a clip. In 1964, Granada Television brought together a group of seven-year-olds. We have followed their lives every seven years, their dreams, ambitions, and fears for the future. Seven years older, seven years fatter, a bit less hair. You look at me at seven, and you look at me even now at 63. It's flown by, Michael. It's a lifelong achievement to be part of this program. Once you get to your 60s, it all gets a bit, oh, how long have we got now? <laughs> I certainly don't look forward to it every seven years. I suppose as you get a bit older, you've got less to lose. All these things that I've said over the years, yes, it has been worth it. And you better cut it, because otherwise I'm going to cry. Now, Rayford, this is undeniably one of the most fascinating media experiments ever made. Everybody in this is so fascinating. Uh, I, I just love it. Just even watching it go from like black and white to color. I mean, yes, all of the right. stuff is, is it's so great. But I'm curious, why are you prescribing this to Beverly? Well, what stuck with me out of Beverly's letter was that she didn't want to see amazing older people doing amazing things, you know, which is always what you get, right? You'd get, you get the bucket list or you get, you know, something like that. And this was just, this is a series about people who are, they're just, they're all coping. These are pretty normal people and they're growing older and, you know, by and large doing well. I mean, there, there is the idea of death in this, in the, especially in this latest film, um, one of the subjects has died. Uh, there's another that has an illness. And then Michael Apted, the director, uh, uh, just died at the beginning of this year. And I don't know if these films are going to continue. This, this is very probably the last one in the series. But it may not be what you'd call um, inspiring the way that these kind of inspirational films tend to be. But I guess, I guess to me, when I watch these films, they're always more comforting and i like when i when i come away from these movies i always think I i'm not alone mm. here's another group of people that are having problems and solving those problems they're they're staying married they're splitting up some of them are defying expectations like neil some of them are just kind of chugging along but it's i just find it real comforting really comforting to sort of be back in the company of these people that you've known for so long and you're just watching these people go through their lives and do what they do and do the best they can do. And so I guess I, I just, I suggested it because here was a, here's a real life example of people, Beverly's age, just living their lives. And so I thought that might be uh, something that she, that would be relatable and maybe useful. That's so great, Rafer. And very different from Hollywood because one thing that Hollywood does 
it lets men over 60 still be the romantic hero, the spy, <laughs> uh, the action star. And women almost, you know, uh, with a few exceptions, we just disappear in the movies once we're over 60. So That's uh, very true. So the Up series, women are there. Women are living. Yes. Women are doing all sorts of things. And Beverly, I, I think maybe you'll see yourself maybe in some of these women and men who are in 62 Up and in the whole Up series. Yeah. Yeah, completely. And the women give uh, Michael Apted a little bit of lip uh, because I think, you know, he, he fell into some kind of uh, uh, some traps, you know, over the years of, you know, asking women about the, the marriage and children and domestic <laughs> things. I think the women are kind of like, what's up with that anyway? Yes. Um, yes so yes. it's it's good. It's it's a it's a you know, it's a fantastic series. Uh, but Kristen, what about you? What are you what are you recommending for Beverly? All right. Well, I am recommending a TV series that is an Amazon Prime original, one of the first big Amazon Prime originals called Transparent. Of course. Now, Transparent, if you're not familiar with it, centers around a Los Angeles family as one of the parents transitions from publicly identifying as male to female. And the family includes Mora, played by Jeffrey Tambor, who was in his 70s at the time he played this role. Shelley, played by Judith Light, who was in her 60s. Uh, Shelley was Mora's ex-wife. Their kids, who are all adults who are kind of uh, stunted in various ways. And <laughs> the kids are of all ages, from, I think, late 20s to 40s. And then there are a number of supporting characters who range from their teens to their 80s. And along the way, we see everyone, regardless of age or sexual orientation or gender identification, we see them all growing, changing, questioning themselves, making mistakes, pursuing their own paths to self-discovery. And I will warn you, often this is done in very cringeworthy ways. Here's a clip. <laughs> Do something about yourself. Actually, on principle, I will not. I'm eating barbecue and it's on my face. I'm not perfect like your you. Sarah's like okay. this cleanliness USA. Oh, you know, it's really not that hard. White. Why don't you clean up the barbecue sauce inside your vagina? Hey, guys. Hi. Listen, I, have, I'm, I need to talk to you about something. There's a big change going on. And. Oh, God. I love your kids. I love your kids. I love your kids. It is cancer. Daddy, oh my are you God. Dying? Just you're tell right. us if you're dying. I knew it was cancer. Daddy, are you dying? I don't think cancer. he has cancer. Dad, just, just tell us if you're dying. He looks good. He looks good. Thank you. Wait, it doesn't matter how he looks. Uh, Remember Jill Goldberg? Yeah. She had a melanoma for three years. They didn't. They couldn't see it, and boom, she's dead. Jill Goldberg is dead. Yeah. yeah. No, and if Daddy had cancer, you'd have the kind of way you look good. Like the one, well, all your friends died of it. What is it? Prostate, prostate right. cancer. Right. That's right. the one that you'd probably yeah. have. Right. Super yeah. stuck. Oh my god. Yeah. Never okay. Obviously, whenever I think about transparent, I think about essentially one issue, which is the issue of of transgender uh, identity. Um, but you say that this, uh, you feel like this has some, has some relevance to Beverly because of the age of the characters? Yes. And here's why, Beverly. So, um, by the way, Jeffrey Tambor isn't even in every season of the show. Right. Oftentimes, the more interesting character who is in her 60s is Shelley, the character that Judith Light plays. And she evolves in all sorts of ways. But the other thing I want you to take away from watching the show is that the people are of all ages. The people who are oftentimes in movies over 60 only hang out with other people over 60. They're in the retirement home. They're starting a cheerleading squad. They're defying the odds by doing whatever nobody expects people over 60 to do. 
But that's not what this show is. The show is more like real life where it's like oftentimes you're in a room and you're in your 60s and everybody else is in their 30s. Sometimes that just happens. In real life, you're oftentimes, you know, going to be the oldest or the youngest person in the room. And that's fine. It's not a big deal. And life doesn't stop at a certain age, whether it has to do with your gender identity or your creative endeavors, your romantic life, your friendships. Life isn't over at 62, and you'll see people over and over and over again reinvent themselves on this show, make mistakes, fall in love, do it all. And uh, again, I'll just reiterate, a lot of it's cringy. And (laughs) so you may also watch this and think, oh, I'm doing better than them too, if you want to feel that way. Some of the cast I hear is kind of cringy as well. Oh, God. Yes. We'll not get into that. Let's we don't not, have to get into that. We don't have to get into that. But yeah, there's a lot to cringe about on this show. But it is very well written. And uh, in a lot of ways, the show is both epic and intimate. And I, I think you might, if you don't see yourself in it, you'll see what you don't want to be. All right. I like this idea. Okay. So our recommendations are from Kristen, the series Transparent, and from me, the Up series of movies by Michael Apted. All right. We're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, thank you, everybody out there who continues to give us those five stars in Apple Podcasts and review us. For example, Tammy Hackbarth recently gave us five stars and wrote, advice column letters plus TV and movie recommendations equals so much to love. Thank you for the levity. Oh, thank you, Tammy Hackbarth. Is that your real name? You can't do that. Is that allowed? That sounds like an action hero name to me. Tammy Hackbarth. Don't mess with her. Tammy Hackbarth to the rescue. I love it. All right. Stay with us. When we're back, we'll have our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Hey, everybody. We are back with our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Rafer, you take this one. All right. I'm going to try to pronounce this name. Nokuthula. I hope I have that right. Nokuthula in Johannesburg, South Africa says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am a sucker for crime procedurals and crossovers. The Chicago series, including Medfire and PD, done. All the law and orders, done. The CSIs, complete. Don't get me started on the 911s. So as you can see, I'm in desperate need of what to watch next. Please help with love from the other side of the world. Oh, I love this. We have a letter from far, far away from a place yeah. I've never been before. I've never been to South Africa. No, nope, me either. My wife has. Oh, wow. Hey, Anne, world traveler. I um, know. Maybe someday. But uh, loving that you wrote with this, and we do actually get quite a few letters from people who love procedurals and have particularly loved them during COVID because it really is nice to watch a story wrap up at the end of each episode and there's nothing dangling, everything solved, all's right with the world again until next week when another dead body is found in an alley. And, uh, you know, our life isn't like that right now. And nothing is cut and dry where we just know the answers and everything's well with the world at the end anymore. So yeah, procedurals can be so much fun to watch. And also, I don't know about you, Rafer, but I just find them um, comforting in a way where I don't have to think that hard. <laughs> and sometimes I don't want to think that hard. That's what. That's one reason why I really always love the Law and Orders. I, I just yes. I, I, the original. I, I'm not a big fan of the the other Law and Orders. Well, I guess I kind of liked Criminal Intent with Vincent D'Onofrio just because he was so irritating. Oh no! You didn't like no. that? SVU is far superior. Oh, I can't watch SVU. Mariska Hargitay. Oh, oh I, my God. I know Stabler's a loose cannon, but Mariska Hargitay, <laughs> she's so just, good. You know what? It. I'm 
I think I'm too prudish for uh, for SVU. They're always, you know, they're always like holding a plunger up to the camera and going, I think he used this. And I always feel like, oh, my God, get that out of my face. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But but yeah, the whole law and order universe to get back to what you were saying, Rafer, it's just like, yeah, it's it's you know what's gonna happen. Every episode's gonna open with two people you never see again who are like, Oh honey, yes. do you wanna come upstairs? That was a fun night. <laughs> oh god, I love that. Oh no, what's that sticking out of the storage closet? Ah Bum bum. Yeah. <laughs> and then I you never it. see oh, them god, again. I always loved it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Christopher, what are you going to recommend to, uh, one more time, I hope I'm pronouncing this name right, what are you going to recommend to No Cthulhu? Okay, No Cthulhu, I am going to recommend a show that I'm afraid there's a good chance you've seen this before, but I'm going to recommend it anyway. And the reason why is because it's from the same makers as CSI, and CSI is a universe that you mentioned here. So the show I'm recommending is called Cold Case, C-O-L-D-C-A-S-E, not Cold Case Files, which is, by the way, an A&E show, just Cold <laughs> an Case. entirely different show. Totally different show, just Cold Case, no other word after it. And it's currently all streaming on HBO Max, but it's also available a lot of other places, too. So Cold Case is... As, as you asked for, it's a police procedural TV series. It originally ran on CBS TV in the U.S., and it revolves around a fictionalized Philadelphia Police Department division that specializes in investigating cold cases. Generally, each investigation begins when the police receive new leads on a case. Some cases are very recent. Some go back as far as the 1910s. And along the way, our detectives talk to witnesses and suspects and this is notable, while they do this, flashbacks play so we can see what really may or may not have happened back in the day when the crime first happened. Here's a clip. Same, Yali, my bunsel. Same with Taya. Anything you need. I'm sorry, detectives. I don't recognize either of the voices. Oh, it's you. And Bo Lin. No, no, you're mistaken. Your brother found this tape. Probably listened to the whole thing. If I was him, I'd be pretty disappointed in my older brother. He was a naive little kid, didn't know anything about responsibility. He cared about doing the right thing. Doesn't count in your book. Jack just cared about himself. In our culture, we honor and protect our family above all else. I think your mother felt the same way. Excuse me? Well, you said that you weren't on the tape, but... And she heard it, told us herself. Well, I think a mother recognizes her own son. Is she here? Um, no, she's gone home. But she did want us to give you this. Okay, I know you said that this is a fictionalized police department, and so these cases are fictionalized, and you said they're going back to the 1910s. I'm just curious... Are, even though they're fictional, are they ripped from today's slash yesterday's headlines? Some of the cases may look familiar to you. Some of them will, mm, but okay. they but they don't uh, claim to be ripped from the headlines the same way that Law and Order does. Law and Order is very right. very overt about it. It's like it's like oh, I just read about that case three months ago. I know what's happening here. Boy, you guys move fast there at Law and Order. Yeah. Yes. 
So, so some of these things may look familiar to you, but regardless, it's just fun to watch. Even if it's not ripped from the headlines, it's still fun to see them solve the case. And yes, it's a procedural, so it's always the same every time. Ooh, we got new information. We're going to talk to this person. Oh, he's going to lie. And then yada, yada, yada. And then by the end, maybe the person's <laughs> going to confess and break down right there while a flashback shows of what really happened. Right. And then there's going to be great resolution while in slow motion, a pop song plays and our investigators are handcuffing people and walking into the sunset. Maybe that's every episode. And then maybe, just maybe, the people in flashback will nod to the camera as if everything's going to be okay. Just maybe. Oh, I'm not sure I could handle that. Oh, you'll love it, Rupert. It's so good. (laughs) Cold Case is so good. And it ran for years and years and years and years. There's over 150 episodes for a reason. That sounds like the ending of Happy Gilmore. Where Abraham Lincoln and Carl Weathers and the alligator are all waving at Happy Gilmore from the sky. I don't know if I can handle that, Christian. Don't compare this to Happy Gilmore. Rafer. No, no. This is more serious. This is about life, death, redemption, and cold cases being solved. I apologize. But Rafer, I'm so curious about what you're going to prescribe here, because as much as you love Law & Order, I know you're not somebody who watches a ton of procedural TV. No, that's true. Um, I am going to recommend a movie that also starts with Cold Case, although it does have an extra word at the end of it. This is called, (laughs) I swear to you, it's called Cold Case Hammerskold. And it's about, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not kidding, and our our listener, Nokuthulo, may actually know this movie. Uh, he may be familiar with it. I- I'll tell you about that in a second. But this is called Cold Case Hammerskull. The way I got uh, uh, introduced to this movie was, I do want to give a shout out to my friend Alan Inkles. He runs the Stony Brook Film Festival out on Long Island. It's a great little festival, labor of love. He's been doing it for, I think, 26 or 27 years now on the Stony Brook campus. Uh, he's the one that, uh, uh, the first person I knew who had uh, seen this film and told me, you got to see it. So I did. It's about the uh, the death of Dag Hammarskjöld, the Secretary General of the UN back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think most Americans have the same reaction that you did. I, certainly I did. Like, huh. <laughs> uh, what happened to him was his plane crashed in Rhodesia. Uh, the plane crashed, basically killing everyone. And people thought that it was a little fishy. He'd been on his way to negotiate this crisis in the Congo. It was a a civil war, one of these proxy U.S. versus Soviet Union wars. People thought there was something a little odd about it. And not just like conspiracy conspiracy theorists, like Harry S. Truman thought it was a little odd. Like he said, like, I I think Mm. I think there's something else that happened there. I think essentially he said, "I, I, I think someone killed him. But they investigated it. Nothing ever came of it. And I feel like Dag Hammarskjöld is to Europe what JFK is to America. Like mm-hmm. it's this it's this killing, this death that happened a long time ago. There was a there was an investigation. Yes, there was a cons- uh, a commission, lots of conspiracy theories, but at this point like, eh, right? If you came out with a movie about the death of JFK today, I think everyone would be like, you know, don't bother me, right? And so <laughs> here's this guy named Mads Brugger. He's a Danish journalist who decides he's going to personally reopen the case of the death of Daghammer's cult. He starts out with this very slim lead, a piece of the plane, supposedly not much to go on, travels to Rhodesia, goes all over the world, interviews a ton of people, uncovers a ton of documents, and eventually stumbles on to what appears to be a legitimate South African covert mercenary operation that shot down Hammerskjold's plane, which is not even the end of the story. But here's a clip. 
Vad sa du? Vi ska We are making a we are doing a check up on the equipment before we go to the burial site. <coughs> okay. Of the wreckage. Ja. First of all, we need to have the pictures you have found. This? There? Yes. So they keep the wreckage of the Albertina Hammerschultz plane inside a sealed hangar for many months. And then in 62 they bury everything. So first sentence is this could either be the world's biggest murder mystery or the world's most idiotic conspiracy theory. Hold on, Rafer. Is this a documentary or is this a drama? I'm so confused here. This is a documentary. It, it Mads Brueger, this Danish journalist, won the directing award in the World Documentary Competition at Sundance. And I interviewed him oh. because the movie is a when you're watching the movie, it's told in this slightly flippant kind of funny sort of gonzo way. Mads Brueger is one of these. Yeah. He's like a yeah, he's like a television personality. So he has this kind of deadpan sort of sarcastic kind of flippant humor. But and I wanted to interview him because I just felt like is he kidding? Like, are you like, is this a joke? Are you putting me on? Am I going to am I going to write a review of this movie and then find out a year later that it was all a big hoax and feel like an <laughs> idiot? Um, but I, he was really he was serious. And the other thing is, and I don't want to spoil anything, his findings, what he uncovers is so disturbing Ooh. that I, I wanted to make sure that he didn't think the whole thing was some kind of lark. But he was very serious and he really does a, a good job as a journalist and he leaves no stone unturned. Like I say, the the the, the possible assassination of Dag Hammarskjöld is only the beginning in what he uncovers in this film. Ultimately, you're going to have to decide whether it all really and truly adds up. I was pretty convinced, but I will just tell you, it is one of the weirdest mystery documentaries with one of the weirdest conspiracy theories you have ever heard. It's a real jaw dropper. I don't want to use the word fun because a lot of it is pretty disturbing, but it is it is just you will be gobsmacked. Wow. You have my curiosity peaked, Rafer. Oh, you gotta you gotta watch it. You got I look it made like no splash here in America for the very reason that that, that we were saying, you know, you say the word daghammer scold to people and there's like this <laughs> the dimmest of bulbs goes off, right? Um, you know, for, I mean me too. I was kinda like, Oh yeah. The only reason I know Daghammer Scold is because I live in New York and I know the UN Plaza is called Daghammer Scold Plaza. Mm -hmm. Um if I if it weren't for that, I'd I'd have no idea. Um anyway. <laughs> It's it's something else and very much very unlike anything you'll see. Fascinating. Well, Nokotula or Thula, sorry. Uh, we hope that you check these out from Rafer once again, Cold Case Hammerskold, and from me, the TV series Cold Case, not Cold Case Files, which is a documentary series. Files. That's a documentary series, which I'm not saying is bad, but I'm just saying that's not what I'm recommending. <laughs> Kristen, when you say that, you got to whip your sunglasses off, like <laughs> David Caruso always does in CSI. <laughs> All right, I think that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Oh my gosh, it sure is, Rafer. And hopefully, out there, if you heard that thunderstorm, you you felt it was coming comforting to be inside here with us rather than yes. in the storm. And and it didn't bother you too much, along with my AC unit kicking on uh, once during everything. Sorry, everybody. It's just, it's sound. It's We live in apartments with noise. Sorry about it's, that. It's ambience. It's cozy. That's yes. It is. Yes. <laughs> 
thanks to everybody who wrote in this week and every week. We very much appreciate it. And thank you also to the Airwave Media Podcast Network, which we are now a part of. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Food with Mark Bittman and The Projection Booth. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.